So tomorrow morning, Spike Ensweiler from St. Matthew Trinity Lunchtime Ministry is going to be here at a guest preach. And when I told people we had a guest preacher for Trinity Sunday, everyone assumed that I did this on purpose as some kind of master plan. It was actually just by chance. So I still have to come up with something anyway for Trinity. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the Trinity, but I want to give you a little different way to think about what it means. The way we usually do Trinity Sunday sermons is for me to try to explain the Trinity to you by giving you stuff to compare it to. The Trinity is like ice, water, and steam. The Trinity is like a pretzel with three separate holes in it. Back in the early church, there was actually a whole branch of theology where people tried to find things in real life that were like the Trinity. So fire, smoke, and heat, or the mind, the brain, and the self. None of them really work. And what all of those do is they start with one and three, and then they try to get them to kind of fit together somehow, and they never really work. So I want to give you a different way to think about it tonight. So last week, we started using the Apostles' Creed in our worship. And we have two main creeds that we use in the church, the Nicene and the Apostles. The Nicene Creed is a doctrinal creed. So it was developed to define some kind of lines around what was considered orthodox. And that's one reason why it has all this precise language in it, like God from God, light from light. Whenever it says something like that, it's basically saying, like, there was someone named Kevin who didn't think this, and we're saying, like, Kevin, you are wrong. So that's why it's so long. The Apostles' Creed is different. It was written for people who are preparing for baptism. So they would do something called catechesis or teaching, and every week you would learn about a different part of the Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed is kind of like the basic story that you should know if you want to know about what God is doing in Jesus. And if you flip open to the Apostles' Creed, you have it in your bulletin, you'll notice that it's Trinitarian. It's got three parts to it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And already we're kind of running the numbers in our head. We got three God things, and then we got one God over here. Let's try to make it all mesh together. But I want you to notice something else that makes it Trinitarian. A way of talking about the creed that helps us see the Trinity in a different way besides just making it a math problem. So look at the first line. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So let's pause for a second and think about the word father. Some of us bristle at the word father. We know that God doesn't have a gender or a sex, so calling God father sounds old-fashioned. Maybe a few hundred years ago people did that, but we are enlightened and we know better. When you see a painting where God is this old man with a big bushy white beard, we think, well, we know better than that. But the early church already knew that the father language was something of a problem for them. In the fourth century, there was a theologian named Gregory of Nazianzus, which is a great name, who lived in modern-day Turkey. And he gave this sermon where he once said, I'm going to paraphrase this, all of these people are getting confused by God the Father, and they're missing the point. They think God is a man. That's really not what we're trying to say. We also have a bunch of words to describe God that take feminine pronouns, and nobody thinks that God is a woman. So everyone's getting all mixed up here. So if Gregory is right, and the father language isn't about gender or sex, that's not what it's trying to do, 
then what's it actually doing? Well, think about the language of fathers for a second. What is it that fathers have in common? What actually makes someone a father? They have kids. You can't be a father unless you have children. So the word father implies a relationship. If you have a kid, it doesn't actually change who you are, but it gives you this new relationship. So when we call God Father, we're not supposed to be thinking of gender. We're supposed to be thinking about how God's very being is relationship. Relationship is not something that God might do or might not do, depending on how God's feeling. It's saying that God's very being is relationship. That's actually a rather startling claim if you think about it. Many religions and people of faith can say that God is love or God is peace or God is justice. It's a distinctively Christian thing to say that God's very self is relationship. So just as an excursus here, you might be wondering why we use father in the Trinity and not mother. Mother implies the same sets of relationships. There are tons of images of God as mother in the Hebrew Bible. There's some in the Gospels and in St. Paul. The reason we use father is because it's the word that Jesus used. When you see father in the Gospels, it's actually the word Abba, which is kind of like daddy. So hopefully that should change the way we think about today's Gospel reading. When Jesus talks about God as his father, he's inviting us into that relationship. When he says, everything that's mine will be yours, that everything is just the relationship. So the relationship that Jesus has with God is now our relationship with God. So the words in the Gospels that God says to Jesus, words like, you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased, that's what God says to us. And the words that Jesus says to God, words like the Lord's Prayer we say every week, those are now our words we say to God. So it's almost like you're overhearing a conversation between Jesus and God, and then when it's over, Jesus says, actually, that was all about you. So when we talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's actually what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit just means the relationship between Jesus and God. So when we talk about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus promises the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not promising this kind of separate new thing over here. It's just saying that the relationship that Jesus has with God is the one that you have with God. So even though the language we use to describe God as Trinity is a relatively modern invention, this is who God's always been. Today's reading from the Psalms gets that. Look at what it says. You can look on the handout if you want. It describes all the things that God has made, the scope of God's creation. God's created everything that is, the cosmos, the stars, the fish, the beasts. This is what's called an envelope psalm, which means the most important thing is right in the middle of it. Well, look what's in the middle of it. What is man that you should note him, and the human creature that you should pay him heed? The God who creates everything that is cares about us, you and me, people who have really nothing useful to offer to God. God doesn't need anything from us. It's not like God is getting a whole lot out of this relationship. But God still cares for us. And why? It's not because of something that we can do for God. It's just who God is. It's just what God does. 
That's what the Trinity is all about. It's not a math problem. It's not a riddle. It's saying that God is relationship, and that relationship overflows into the world that God loves. Not because of anything that we can do for God, but because it's just because what God is. Now, most of the relationships we have in our life don't work that way. Most of the times we're in a relationship with someone, friend, neighbor, partner, whatever, we think about how this other person makes me feel, right? They make me laugh, they help me, they care about me, they make me feel a certain way. But people change. At some point, this person can't make you laugh anymore. Maybe they can't help you. They can't make you feel the way they used to. That's just how human relationships work. So we try to make ourselves valuable to other people, to make ourselves worthwhile, to make ourselves feel needed. The psalmist is actually saying the exact opposite of that. When you ask why God loves you, do you know what the psalmist says? It really has nothing to do with you at all. It has everything to do with God. God loves you because it's just what God does. So when we say that God is Trinity, we're really saying something about grace. The relationships that God makes with us don't depend on us. They're not because of our actions or our beliefs or our contributions. So when we confess the Apostles' Creed in a few minutes, and when we get to that first line, I want you to remember that the maker of heaven and earth, the one who creates everything that is, cares about us, cares about you in particular. Not because of what you do, but because it's just who God is, and it's just what God does. Thanks be to God. Amen.